Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, national politics, both from the national and the local perspective. Uh, After a long kind of lull in the presidential campaign, the race really kicked back into high gear again this week with Joe Biden's selection of Kamala Harris as his running mate. That sort of got everybody going again on how to cover the campaign and where the campaign is going. And I thought this would be a good moment to sort of pause and look at how politics are covered differently at the state and local level than they are at the national level. I'm thrilled to be joined by two people who can really help us understand this. Art Collin is the editor and co-owner of the Storm Lake Times, which is a family-owned newspaper in Northwest Iowa. He's been on before. Welcome back, Art. Thank you, Kyle. Great to have you again. And then Aisha Roscoe is a White House reporter for NPR, who before NPR was at Reuters, and and covers the in and out of the White House. And I'm thrilled to have you on, Aisha. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. So let me start with Art. Let, let's talk about the, the Harris news first. How did that land where you are? And what did you notice about how the national press reported it that may have been different from what you or your audience was interested in? Well... When it was announced, uh, essentially on uh, cable news, uh, you know, I, I think I was tuned into MSNBC at that time, and you know, everybody was gushing about Harris. It's a historic pick, and as Dan Balls of the Washington Post noted, it's a conventional pick, and I think that's how it was received. Uh, what I, it, you know, from from this quarter, it looks like uh, Biden was making a move to. Uh, uh, she's a, a tremendous fundraiser, very well connected to Hollywood and Silicon Valley money, and it gives Biden an inroad into the tech community that he didn't necessarily have. So that's how it's viewed, for me anyway, sitting here in the middle of the Midwest. What else is going on politics-wise for you in Iowa? Well, first off, we should say you all just had this horrific storm that swept through the state that I imagine has sort of distracted people. Yeah, nobody's paying it. Nobody was really paying attention that much to the vice presidential uh, nominee because 40,000 people in Iowa City and Cedar Rapids were without power. Uh, 10 million acres of Iowa cropland were destroyed by this wow. straight line, 100 mile an hour wind wow. uh, that ripped across Iowa and Illinois. And that's a much bigger story to us, frankly, than the vice presidential nomination. Yeah. Well, a writer who writes for CJR often lives in Iowa and, and has been, you know, has been sort of updating us on how terrible this is. It, it seems like it's been, do you, do you have a sense that it's been sort of underreported in the country? What's happened there? It's tremendously underreported. And, uh, you know, when a hurricane hits uh, New Jersey, uh, that's big news. And essentially, this is an inland hurricane that was you know, that went from uh, Des Moines to Chicago, basically. And it, it got one day notice, and then everybody started gushing over the vice presidential nominee and uh, completely obliterated the fact that 10 million acres in Iowa alone, not to mention Illinois, which is the number two corn state in the country, Iowa's number one. And uh, that's $6 billion uh, in corn that was lost, at least, in Iowa. And uh, 
the bigger story is that we ain't. This is the new normal for agriculture, and there's going to be severe challenges uh, in the immediate future growing corn in Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana. Yeah, Aisha, art sort of raises an interesting notion, which is that um, as huge as this Harris news is and historic in every way, no matter your politics, you know, it, you, it, it, is, it is easy to sort of get in a headspace that forgets that there are other things going on in the country that people also are worried about and obsessing about. How do you, how do you sort of think about that and how do you weigh that as you report a story like this? I think it's important to always keep that in mind. One thing that I really like about NPR is that we do have all of these member stations all over the country. And so we are able to, and when before the pandemic and even now, we do have some people that travel a bit. Uh, So we're able to get at some of those stories that are having an impact at a local level. Um, You know, I used to, when I was at Reuters, I covered you know, commodities and energies. So I I used to do the, like the crop reports and stuff like that. So when you talk about losing that much corn, I know how important corn, uh, you know, what a huge producer, Iowa and the Midwest, uh, how the corn belt, like that's a huge deal, you know, and that's going to have long-term ramifications. So that stands out to me. I do think that sometimes what the issue can be is that sometimes we're a bit siloed off because I, you know, I'm looking at politics and I think that obviously politics is personal and what people are, you know, what people, how people are impacted by all of these things affects their politics. But sometimes we can get very into this is, you know, kind of the technical, okay, he's choosing the vice president. What does that mean? But none of this stuff happens in a silo. You know, all of this stuff isn't happening in a vacuum. So yes, it's a big deal that he chose Kamala Harris, but you have all of these other impacts and all of these other, you know, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's this devastating natural disaster, all of these things are playing together and will affect people's decisions in November. So I think we could do a better job of kind of bringing all of that together. Yeah. I mean, the point about your point about the fact that NPR is represented all around the country is a good one. And I think it probably does frankly, improve the coverage and make it a little more well-rounded than other places. But as a as a beat reporter, I mean, you're right in the thick of it and you're competing against people who are obsessing about the horse race part of it. And you're competing against people who are obsessing about the kind of inside politics part of it. And it seems like it must be, it must take a lot of discipline on your part to be able to sort of s- step back and say, you know, I'm not going to get as invested in this as these people are, because that's that that story isn't as interesting to my audience. I mean, do you do you find yourself telling yourself that? I, I what I find myself at times telling myself is, look, there are a million different stories, right? And so, what what can I focus on uh, that where I can try to have an uh, an impact, or what what can I own? What can I look at that 
I feel like matters and will make a difference um, because I'm not going to be able to tell every single story. Uh, and there are lots of stories to be told. There's a lot of landscape out there to be covered. Um, I do try to not get too caught up. I mean, I follow Twitter. Obviously, I'm, you know, I think we all do. But mm-hmm. I do try not to get too caught up in that. I, you know, I'm not trying to get into the Twitter's not real life. I think there there is an impact of Twitter and political analysis on Twitter that matters. But I think we also have to remember that not everyone is following, you know, the VP choice, you know, the, you know, who was flying here to there. Not, not everyone's following it that closely and not everyone's following the political process that closely. You know, like when we had 25 Democrats running, not every everybody wasn't tuned in. Like, and I think that we do have to remember that. Um, and with yeah. Trump, and not everybody's following every word that he's saying. Like people are just kind of peeking in. And then, you know, so I think that's what you have to remember is that they're not looking, they're not in the weeds the way we are. Um, yeah. and some things could still be surprising to them um that we find, you know, just that that's that that we feel like just happens. People can be still be surprised. So you covered the the final year of President Obama in office, and then you you also covered the beginning of the Trump administration. What have you noticed about the coverage of this point in the race that's different than the coverage at this point in the race in 2016? People are trying to, or outlets and report outlets and reporters, I think they're trying to respond to the win of President Trump in 2016, which was unexpected in the sense that people uh, looking at it thought that, you know, it was most likely that uh, that Hillary Clinton would win. And there was, I do think there was soul searching on where outlets were like, well, how did this get missed? Yeah. Um, where did we miss the the kind of upsurge in support and anger at the Washington establishment and just kind of this feeling of we were going to tear, tear everything up and, and go with um, Trump. And so I think that there is a response to that that you see from outlets, but I, I don't know that we, I don't know that reporters in general have really grasped what, what that all means. Yeah. Uh, I think what you see now that you didn't see as much then is people going, look, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I yeah. think that's probably the biggest change yeah. is that you see people going, we don't know. He's up. Yeah. <laughs> Biden may be up 15, but that doesn't yeah. mean anything. We don't know. You know, he could be up 35. We don't know. <laughs> and that's, know? Huge. that's That's actually a huge change. I mean, to be able to like come down from the heavens, which is where people tended to hang out, a lot of national political reporters, as if, to your point, as if they knew everything. That's a big thing. I mean, just to put my cards on the table, I wrote a piece this week for CJR about how how I thought, uh, how sort of nice it was to have this reprieve from campaign coverage over the last five months. It was for horrible reasons, but it was still nice. Um, and, and how I sort of hoped that uh, the people covering the campaign would sort of learn the lessons of, of this sort of respite. Um, Art, what do you make of what Aisha was saying about, uh, well, one, have you noticed a difference that's that's worth pointing out in terms of the coverage 
of this campaign versus the last one from your perspective? Well, uh, speaking about this election cycle generally, uh, the biggest obvious difference is, is that the candidates are, uh, you know, in their basements. And uh, so we covered Teresa Greenfield yesterday, who was uh, he's campaigning for the U.S. Senate, a Democrat uh, campaigning against Republican Joni Ernst, an incumbent who's uh, one of the most endangered U.S. senators uh, on the Republican side right now. And it was essentially Teresa Greenfield visiting with a farmer outdoors one-on-one with masks on and then the media uh, at a social distance. That's how, and uh, that's a completely different campaign uh, than would have occurred two years ago. And uh, J.D. Shulton, who's a congressional candidate, another Democrat, is going to is going to parking lots and is having parking lot rallies uh with where you can tune in on your radio and listen hmm. to him talk so uh, people drive up drive up like a drive-in movie right it's just like a drive-in movie and you sit in a church parking lot and listen to jd and he's in his winnebago camper talking oh to you through the radio <laughs> that is awesome is the substance i mean are you getting and your reporters getting more substance from these candidates in these kind of settings than they would have gotten in the kind of big conventional campaign stops? No, uh, because uh, nobody's asked, you know, we, we get, you know, a couple questions and, you know, each reporter gets one or two questions at one of these very rare appearances. And, uh, and there's no average Joe there or Josephine uh, there to ask them questions about, you know, notch babies and social security, uh, and, uh, or ethanol or the trade war with China. And so all those things get put off and it just becomes the talking points. And then we ask our often irrelevant questions about horse race journalism. And there you have it. Interesting. Regarding us, uh, you know, living in our ivy towers uh, and proclaiming who's going to win, I think uh, I think we're still doing that. It's just in the nature of the beast, who's going to win. And yeah. uh, that's why we have polls. And that's what uh, what I get paid for is to uh, to spout off my uh, my. Uh, opinions about who's going to win, even though I have no idea who's going to win. Yeah, uh, I'd also add that's how we mainly cover politics is on the opinion page. We don't really cover politics a lot on the front page. Uh, even local politics. Well, we do we do local politics, but we don't pay much attention. If a U.S. Senate candidate visits, we go and get a picture and and do twenty inches. Uh, but if, uh, you know, but we don't really pay a lot of attention to national uh, right. political races. We're strictly local newspaper, a twice a week newspaper. Yeah. And so we really we really deal with politics on the opinion page. And I assume that you this is a decision in, in, in terms of covering national politics. It's the decision you make because of your resources and you sort of have to make a decision on where you're going to spend your time and resources. Um, but is there a way that the somebody like Aisha, who reports 
for Iowa, in a sense, because her reporting goes over the Iowa NPR stations. Is there a, a way that she could frame um, the presidential race or talk about the presidential race that would register particularly with your audience? Yeah, uh, I think one of the ways is to talk about, uh, you know, the biggest issue going forward for this world is going to be food production. Uh, it is right now. We've already seen it. And uh, uh, that, that uh, the meatpacking industry fell apart during the pandemic. Uh, and uh, we aren't going to be able to grow corn in Kansas in 10 to 20 years. Uh, and so, okay, what are we going to do about it? Joe Biden has a, you know, put together a, a green agriculture plan, uh, and then it gets uh, caricatured. Oh, he's, you know, he's a socialist Green New Deal guy. Well, what he's really talking about is planting cover crops during the winter. Uh, pretty practical ideas, but we don't get any of that. Uh, and so, you know, if in an ideal world we pursue issue-based journalism, uh, and and uh, but that's that's not how the real world operates. Aisha, this thing that he talked, I mean, I'm really intrigued by the drive-in uh, car uh, rally, which I think is interesting and odd and cool. Um, but does the the fact that these candidates are so now sort of cloistered in their basements or distance, are you, do you, because Art said that he's getting less useful information as a result. Do you find that too? It, it is harder because we're not out there at, you know, you know, like Art said, we're not at rallies or there are not a lot of campaign events. And it's just harder to get to talk to people in general because of the virus. So you can't necessarily, I know Democrats, they're not going out and knocking on doors. Uh, but those are the sorts of things that you might have asked the campaign. Can I follow you while you knock on doors? You can't do that now. And even if you can, there's a question of safety. Do I feel safe going knocking on doors right now um, with some Republicans are? Uh, so it, it does make it more difficult to get out and to talk to regular people uh, when not only are the, the politicians locked in their basement, but, it, you know, we're all working from home. Like I said, some of, I haven't traveled uh, really since the, the pandemic hit. Uh, some of my colleagues have, some of them have been able to visit family and then use that to go and, and, and do some reporting, you know, yeah. so we are getting out there some, um, but, but it's, it's a challenge. And, and what about, how, how are you connecting with voters? I mean, which which is the sort of staple of political reporting. And in fact, one of you mentioned the sort of soul searching that happened after 2016. And one of the themes of that was we just didn't understand what the country was thinking and we didn't understand where it was headed because we weren't really listening. Um, it seems particularly hard to do that now. How do you get around that? So I, I think it's about trying to make connections with people at different, you know, 
people who are at different groups um, who may be able to point you to here's a person who's dealing with this or, you know, and sometimes it's getting on Twitter, doing call outs that way, social media, if you're affected this way, you know, does, you know, if you're having problems with your unemployment, can you reach out to me trying to find people that way? Um, uh, some of that self-selected, but that's one way to go about it. I know NPR recently had a focus group in Arizona. I believe it was Arizona uh, that uh, where they talked to eight voters there. We have had some reporters kind of go to grocery store parking lots and you know just try to catch people there. Uh, so it's and you know that's where they felt comfortable. Um, so, but it, it's harder for a recent story I did, it ended up being a follow-up to, I had went to Milwaukee right before everything shut down, right at the end of February. And so I ended up going back to some of the people that I had talked to there when we were allowed to travel and following up with them. Um, and, but those were people I had met kind of before the, 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 the storm hit, um, so to, so to speak. So, uh, I think it's trying to get creative, but it's not what it would have been if when you could just go to rallies or go to campaign events and just walk around with your mic and talk to 20 people, you know, um, at one event. So, Art, what's the top thing on your political calendar right now? Like, what are you what race are you most focused on? Where's your attention going? Well, I think the the marquee race in Iowa obviously is the Joni Ernst Teresa Greenfield race. Uh, Joni Ernst had a popularity uh, or an approval rating of north of sixty percent two years ago, and now she's under thirty percent uh, and is one of the three most unpopular Republican senators. And it's all because of the weight of Donald Trump. Uh, and this was before the pandemic. Hit, and it's only gotten worse since then, and it's only going to get worse until November. Uh, agricultural markets have imploded. Uh, corn is at a 10-year low in price. Uh, hogs are being euthanized and buried in farm fields uh, because they can't. They couldn't get through packing houses. There's going to be another uh, bottleneck. All those things are, are dragging down Joni Ernst, and uh, no matter what she does. And the other race I'm paying special attention to is J.D. Shulton versus a Republican by the name of Randy Feenstra, who beat Steve King in a primary, a congressional primary. And Steve King yeah. was a right-wing xenophobe uh, who'd served for 20 years. And the question is, is the, is the blue wave going to be big enough uh, to carry Shulton in one of the reddest districts? in the country. I call Northwest Iowa a little slice of Texas. Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, Art, it's great to great to have you on again. Well, thank you. Aisha, terrific to talk. I hope you'll come back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So you can follow the ongoing coverage of the campaign on CGR.org and subscribe to our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next week.